All right, y'all. Welcome, welcome. Welcome to the Unfazed, Unedited Podcast, where we provide commentary on complicated topics in an uncomplicated format. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold. Happy Black History Month, y'all. I go by she, her, hers pronouns, and I'm here with Dr. Lisa Ingerfield. How are you doing during this uh, February Black History Month here in the U.S.? How's it going? Doing well. We just came off of a 10 and a half inch snowstorm this past weekend. So still digging myself out of that. Yep. Oh my <laughs> um, gosh. Oh, how'd you take the dogs yep, out? What in just, the world? Well, they didn't go out, which is always painful because then they're very excited because they've not had any opportunity to get outside. But yeah. So, and I'm just looking outside my window now and I'm like, oh. I feel like something else is heading my way, but at least we don't have flooding that's going on in California right now. So um, that's good. I guess that's the upside. (laughs) Well, I feel guilty now because we're at uh, what 47 and sunny today, which I'm grateful for because uh, what was it? A couple weeks ago when we were in Puerto Rico, we had uh, two snowstorms in the same week here. So, you know, we we can never catch up with Colorado snow, but you know, we tried over here in Maryland. We tried. Yeah. Um, You don't need to catch up. There's no matching up necessary. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, good to see you and good to jump into our topics for today. Phase one, Lisa, let me just tell you, I have a new soapbox and I think anybody that's in DEI work uh, has no shortage of soapboxes, but mine specifically connects to Black History Month. And I want to uh, reflect with you both on you know my reflections and of course yours, um, but I've gotten to a place now that, of course, when you're in DEI work and you also happen to be Black, uh, yes, you want to celebrate that month, but you're also called upon to do certain things, whether it's celebratory months, uh, celebratory events, uh, maybe in-services, trainings, professional development, you name it, all down the list of things that people request us to do um, when it comes to the DEI work of the knowledge, but also, too, as someone who shares that heritage. And so here in the U.S., Black History Month is in February. It started out as Black History Week, Carter G. Woodson, and then expanded out to a month. Um, We know that it's uh, in October uh, in other areas of the world. But let me just tell you, Lisa, I, I think I just stopped counting at the number of requests I got starting February 1st, 2nd, 5th. Now we're 7th, on and on and on. And I'm thinking to myself, this feels real sucky and I'm going to create a new personal policy that I will not say yes to request for speaking engagements, trainings, you know, professional development, teacher trainings, any of that stuff. If you are asking within the celebratory month itself, because it really feels like when you know, maybe as adolescents, maybe in elementary, middle, high school, you were that person that was the afterthought invitation to the party, right? February happens here in the US every single year. It's not as if the date moves, it's not as if the month moves. And so it really feels othering when you get that invitation to the party after the party started. I don't want that feeling, I don't have to have that feeling, but. I've had a number of requests within this month of Black History Month um, that I can't honor, frankly, and won't honor because it just feels bad. And so 
I'm grateful for those organizations that thought ahead, but there's still more that did not think ahead. And now they're trying to scramble and get things together. And I just, I don't want to encourage that type of behavior around a celebratory month that I am part of. Um, but Lisa, look, you don't have to have a soapbox, but I want to hear from your perspective about Black History Month. I got some deep-seated feelings, but I want to hear from you too. What do you think about that? And, and just what do you think in yeah. general about Black History Month here? Yeah, I mean, I think that it is illustrative of how little thought from white-dominated groups particular. Presumably, you're hearing these last-minute requests from organizations or groups that have a good number of white people in it, would be my guess, right? So they're Absolutely. not thinking that you're going to be busy or that this is something that needs planning. And I think about this in the sports world, right? And I think about the Olympics that are coming up here in July in Paris. And my guess is organizations that are affiliated with connected to sport in some way are probably not going to be making interview requests or event requests related to the Olympics, you know, six days into the Olympics, right? Or one week before the Olympics, right? So the capacity to plan is there. People do own that capacity. So I think that there is, to your point, um, a value that is being placed on Black History Month and or other celebratory months where the programming and the requests operate in the same way. Um, so I just, and I think that's just this tool of white supremacy, right? We've talked about that before on one of those components of a white supremacist system is urgency i think and so like yes you know, yes you getting an email three days before february 1st saying can you be our keynote speaker on february 9th for example you know it's like this ex expectation that you know they say jump and you say how high and of course i would be happy to move on your timetable right like i don't have anything better to do with my life um right Right. Yeah. Right. So I think it's a good policy that you have. And I think it more people should have that policy to kind of shift <laughs> organizations and groups into a little bit more forward planning. Like you said, February happens every year. It's always Black History Month. You could plan this in September. That's not challenging, right? Like just hello, you know, foresight. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, well, and Lisa, yeah. you know, because we, you know, we follow each other, obviously, on social media. I've been posting about planning ahead for celebratory months uh, since probably at least late October moving into the new year, because of course, you know, there's lots of things that happen at the, um, in the first quarter of the calendar year, especially here in the US. We have, you know, Martin Luther King Day, usually around about January 15th. Then we have Black History Month on the heels of that. Then we have, of course, Women's History Month. We have uh, LGBT History Month kind of folded in there. So there's a lot of stuff that happens during the first quarter of the year. So why do we wait until, oh, let's kick it over to the new year and see what happens or let's, you know, say jump and see if they'll say how high, that's inappropriate. If, you know, here in the U.S., Pride Month is in June. I'm not talking to people in June to say, hey, can you do X, Y, Z for me to commemorate? I'm starting now, if not earlier, to honor those other celebratory months. And so I just feel like it's a good policy to have to remind folks and how can I say, remind folks of its importance, uh, but also to interrupt the white supremacy that wraps around that because then it becomes performative, right? So the, so, you know, if I say something to the white organization or the white led organization, hey, it's inappropriate to contact someone during Black History Month about Black History Month because that's a bit late. The, the conundrum they're probably thinking is, well, 
goodness, I thought we were doing better than the past because at least we're doing something. Well, at least we're doing something still is quite performative. How are you doing that? Are you being equitable and inclusive in the process of doing so? Last minute doesn't work. It should not work. I know a lot of folks, especially in the DI industry, they are quite busy during this time of the year because of those uh, sequential uh, holidays and celebrations and so forth. So why would you contact someone in the moment? That's not okay. Yeah, I mean, they're not, because they're not thinking, the person who's contacting you has either been instructed to by someone who's not thinking or they are not thinking themselves, right? Um, Absolutely. And, and, yeah, like it's just this lack of effort or care around the relevance and importance of Black History Month in particular, but it extends to all of the celebration months, of course. I think for me coming from the UK, like I just learned that the UK's Black History Month is in October and was created mm -hmm. in 1987. So well, well behind the US in terms of creating that month. But I never, I don't recall anything in my schooling. Like I would have been 11 when Black History Month was introduced and I could not yeah. tell you a single, I have no memory of my school doing anything for Black mm. History Month. I have no memory of my college, my university doing anything for Black History Month. I didn't really mm. learn about Black History Month, Women's History Month, Hispanic Heritage Month until I came to the United States. And uh, mm -hmm. it's always been kind of interesting to me, and I'm sure this is a debate or a conversation that happens here all the time, right? We understand U.S. American history as, in a way that excludes Black people's experience. And so this need to then have a quote-unquote Black History Month to remind people that Black history mm. is U.S. American history. Like they're not disentangled. They're the same thing. But yet right. we have to call it out because schooling and politics have done such a crap job of really having that integration. And now we're seeing in some states where they're actually banning conversations and education about slavery, about racism, right? Um, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I would like to think we get to a point where there is no Black History Month, but maybe... I don't know, maybe you feel differently that you feel that there should always be a Black History Month. I'm not sure. Well, you know, I think, uh, again, it's, it reminds me of when I'm, I tell my kids, you know, please take your vitamins, honey. Make sure you take your vitamins. Why? Because I know they're not eating enough vegetables all throughout the day, the year, the month, right? So they have a specific time of day that they need to take their vitamins as a supplement. And I do wonder that, our celebratory months, as much as I love them, and I think they're appropriate, sometimes they do become those supplements because we're not doing it all throughout the year. Because to your great point, Lisa, about not knowing in the UK, well, hell, I didn't know in the US either. Not that I didn't know about Black History Month. I knew about Black History Month, but not through the public school system. I knew it through my house of worship. And every year we had a celebratory service or multiple services um, where we went down into the fellowship hall and we had some of our traditional foods that actually came from the continent of Africa here. And so we knew it there. But if I was dependent upon the public school system in Southern Virginia, to teach me about Black history, it wasn't going to happen. And so the limited knowledge that I did receive was through my house of worship and through, you know, parents, family, friends, loved ones. Um, and then the lion's share of my 
learning about black history came in college when I took an African-American history class and I was so pissed off at the world that I didn't know probably 95% of what I learned there. I mean, then the rest of it was self-taught. And so given that, I think, you know, the celebratory months end up being that vitamin because we're not doing it throughout the year for a number of reasons, right? right. We've, we've talked about this, Lisa, around, you know, book banning. If you're writing books about the Black experience, like the 1619 Project, but yet you're banning them, there is a system to keep that information out. So we have to systematize providing the information in. How do we do that? Wonderful librarians who have been incredible in regards to community libraries, making sure that there are Black history displays, uh, Hispanic Heritage Month displays, Native American displays. They have done great work there. Communities have done great work there, festivals um, in local areas and so forth. But if you're dependent upon the public school system to provide that information, it's systematically not going to happen. And I mostly feel very sorry for the teachers that are caught in the crux in between because my kids have phenomenal teachers and we are in an overwhelmingly African-American county in the country. But yet if there are county dynamics that preclude this type of learning, then it's still not going to happen, even though you got great teachers. Um, and so given that there's way too many systems that make it close to impossible to learn about black history in formal settings. So we have to find it elsewhere. So the celebra the celebrations have to happen because it's not part of our daily diet of information. Yeah, I think that's a great way to frame it that it isn't it isn't regular enough and integrated enough so it's there's still a requirement for it, which is mind-blowing really. But that's probably yeah. for that that is probably a discussion for another day. So let's let's yeah. let's leave that one here and move on to phase 2. So I think we got we got a good one for phase 2, right, Shauna? <laughs> Oh my goodness. Look, let me tell you how I, oh, I, I went into reflective mode because I saw on CNN, they posted this article about Elmo from Sesame Street. Now, if you grew up in the U.S. across the board, regardless of race, ethnicity, you were probably educated, I'm using air quotes, y'all, educated by Sesame Street in some way. Um, Sesame Street is known for diversity for decades, um, known for teaching empathy and kindness and compassion to people. And so, you know, Elmo, I mean, I literally pulled out Elmo dolls from when I was a kid to give to Trey after he was born and he loved him. I mean, that used to be his password when we would pick him up from daycare. That was the path, you know, all those different things. We kind of built a, a life around uh, Elmo as a character. Anyhow, CNN posted that Elmo from Sesame, Sesame Street posted a tweet or on X. Um, hey, you know, just checking in. How's everybody doing? Just one sentence. How's everybody doing? Don't you know Elmo got like 30,000 tweets back within seven days about their experiences? And thinking to myself, what the heck is going on here? People were in a very fragile state in this country. Now, I'm sure he probably got some responses, you know, outside of the U.S., obviously. But the fact that that many people responded to Elmo's tweet. And of course, these are adults and people that are old enough to have X accounts, obviously. Um, but when I, I read some of the some of the comments, 
I had to laugh to keep from crying with some of them because they were tough. You know, like one person said, I met my lowest, but thank you for even asking. Right. Um, one person said, Elmo, got a level with you, baby. We are fighting for our lives out here. That's what one person said. Another person said, every morning, I cannot wait to go back to sleep. Every Monday, I cannot wait for Friday to come. Every single day and every single week for life. Right. Um, this other one, oh my goodness. Elmo, each day the abyss we stare into grows a unique horror, one that was previously unfathomable in nature. Our inevitable doom, like, listen to this language, right? This is the darkest language I've heard in a while now. Um, this person says, you know, this inevitable doom, which once accelerated in years or months, now accelerates in hours, even minutes. However, I did have a good grapefruit for breakfast earlier, but thank you for asking. Like, people are suffering um and so to follow up on that lisa um after hearing all or reading all of those responses elmo's account said wow i'm glad i asked and so then after that all of the sesame street characters posted something in their own voice if you will i loved cookie monster's response cookie monster said hey i am not the right person to listen to this but i will bring cookies and listen right it, it was sweet it was tender it was um a reminder for those of us who are i'm i'm 46 y'all and i love elmo um it reminded lots of us of simpler times as kids where you may have been having a bad day but you could watch elmo for 30 minutes and it's like everything completely brightens up um, and as adults, now we've been through some stuff and anyone that made it through the pandemic, we've been through, you know, once in a century stuff. Um, and so with that, I just thought it was very interesting and an indicator, almost a litmus test of where we are as far as mental health is in the country. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to bring that up. If y'all have not seen that Elmo mm. account, Lisa, it's something else. <laughs> don't read too far into the comments. You know how they say, don't read the comments. Yep. Yep. Don't do it. Don't yep. do it. Don't do it. Um, it's funny, right? Because I don't follow Twitter X. Um, and so, and I did what I watched Sesame Street going up. I mean, a lot of it probably went over my head because of the cultural differences, but I do remember really liking Sesame Street. Um, and I was unaware that Elmo had posted this and the tidal wave of responses that came. But what it made me think of when you and I were talking about it offline was how um, how much stigma still exists for mental health services. So there's like a number of things going on, right? People are not seeking out mental health services because to do so, to do so might, ha might lead to a perception of weakness, right? Either of themselves or the belief that other people will say that you're weak. Um, or I can't afford mental health services, right? Because in this country, there's very hard to get low cost no cost mental health services um so there's it's also inaccessible to a ton of people and then just the kind of lack of you use the word tenderness in describing cookie monster right but the lack of tenderness or empathy or kindness that exists in our climate and that's very us specific right now i'm not sure how that plays out in other countries but right now there's so much vitriol and hate and division um that it's very hard for people to kind of reach across that divide with an open heart and with empathy and so i think all of that is playing into why 
Elmo received such a uh, vast number of responses. And I just, I don't know how to fix the stigma piece, right? Because different communities experience stigma differently around mental health. But this idea that mental health is somehow, like if you're struggling with mental health, it's somehow a deficiency in a way that if you break your leg or if you have a chronic illness and you go to the doctors, like there's just not the same the same stigma isn't there, right? Like that's, that's quote unquote real. If you have a physical ailment, but something right. going on in your head, that's not really real. You just need to buck up and kind of go through it. And I, that is such a, that's such a big feeling still. People still feel that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, think about the cultures that m most of them repressed cultures that take a lot of pride in being strong. Right. And so having any type of mental health challenge seems to subvert that strength, right? So I, I think you remember, Lisa, when I sent you that uh, meme, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get it right, but it was a, a quote that said, um, slavery is white history, how we survived is black history, something to that effect. Well, to that point, survival, folks that have, have overcome major obstacles, saying that you have a mental health challenge or you're anywhere on the mental health spectrum of concern that completely subverts that pride and so i do and i'm i'm not agreeing with it i'm just saying i understand it um how it's not seen as oh you know i hurt my arm i you know broke my leg it isn't seen that same way because it always seems to be up for debate like, no, you're not going to debate me on my depression. This is what I'm experiencing, right? Um, or um, it's almost another form of gaslighting, Lisa, to say, Lisa, you're not depressed. You, you just, just be stronger, you know, focus on the positive. The sun is out today. All you gotta do is choose to be happy. All that stuff I believed for many, many, many years because I am from a culture that, takes lots of pride of being strong um, and being impervious to major challenges, all those different things. Um, and then how that folds into, you know, current trauma of life, right? Like one, one of my new favorite quotes around trauma is the, I call it the two quote, the two T-O-O -O quote. Uh, trauma is something that is too big, too fast, too soon, too painful, too little, possibly for too long for anybody. And that's so subjective. And frankly, I think it should be like, it's not okay to say, well, you know, Lisa's, I'm, I'm just quoting here. I'm just hypothetically saying Lisa's depression is not as important as Shauna's depression because we don't believe either is true. And, oh, well, you look okay. And like all those things that we use to gaslight other people and sometimes to gaslight ourselves. Oh, Shauna, like, I'm, I'm okay. You know, you get up in the morning, and you tell yourself I'm okay. Um, that's why I love when people uh, post uh, statements like, you know, it's really okay to not be okay. You know, if you wake up and you look out the window and you think you're supposed to be happy because the sun is shining and you're not okay, that is all right. Um, and folding in how difficult it is to get mental health services that are reasonably priced. Um, uh, Lisa, I know you remember, I can't remember all the details, but Rachel Cargill, uh, that spoke at the ROI conference that we went to in Puerto Rico, spoke to this work. She has a foundation called the Loveland Foundation, um, that's doing all this major work to increase access to therapy for black women and girls. 
Um, and I did, uh, this was a few months ago where I did kind of an audit of services for uh, black men and black boys when it came to therapy. You know, what does it mean as much as I so appreciate those and, you know, Anytime I get money to donate, I would love to, you know, in those capacities and at the same time, what happens when those services run out, right? You know, some of them are like, you know, six sessions and you're done here. What happens when you're done here? Um, so all of that I think is important, but Elmo just, I think he opened a huge can of worms that was already overflowing anyway. What we do with what we've learned from Elmo is going to be the major challenge of the country. Um, Every mental health professional that I know is overbooked. I see why, <laughs> I, I really do see why. Um, I have a good friend of mine, Kelly Rogan, who I worked with at Towson. She's wonderful and um, has done a really good job at being um, uh, LGBT centric, um, especially working with uh, kids particularly. We need those folks. Like. I think maybe, Lisa, we need to get to the root of the matter and make a whole lot of money so that we can give a lot of money to schools to make sure that underrepresented folks actually go to school for these areas, to become psychotherapists, to become all those things because they're necessary. Yeah, I was actually just going to say that, that one of the things I didn't mention previously was the lack of counselors and mental health professionals from underrepresented groups. So counselors of color, counselors with yes. disabilities, counselors from the LGBT community, yes. that we it's still an overwhelmingly white, straight women um, mm -hmm. profession. And so then there, you mm -hmm. know, there's just experiences that as good as you are as a clinician, you're not necessarily going to understand if you don't have that generational trauma, you don't have that lived experience as a person of color, right? You're not dealing with racial weathering. You're not dealing with having to perhaps hide who you are because you are gay and your workplace isn't safe to come out, right? Like mm -hmm. there's all of those pieces that are missing. Um, and it's, mm -hmm. I was just talking with a student because um, I'm teaching policy, social policy right now. And there's a bill in Colorado that is being introduced to create additional student loan relief for social workers and counselors who go into school counseling mm -hmm. and school social work. So if you yes. train in that area and then take a position in a school, you will have Colorado will provide you, I forget the dollar amount, but it's several thousands in student loan relief as a means to encourage more people to go into that particular field because you know if we can provide those services to young people as they're growing then they'll yes. be happier and healthier adults but they'll also grow up with a normalization of mental health care yes right yes. and pass yes. that down so, yes yeah absolutely yeah yeah that is so good yeah um my my children have been uh in therapy since they were seven years old I don't want them to be part of that narrative of, okay, you're supposed to be strong and this is not for you. So I appreciate that school lens on things. Let's, let's see what Marilyn is going to do. Come on, Marilyn, you can do it. You can do it. Um, but that's incredible. Yeah. So yeah. look, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about accessibility here because um, you and I, let me tell you, sometimes we are on fire in those mm -hmm. Instagram DMs yeah. because we see stuff that's like, always giving us a, a point of conversation here, but let's talk about accessibility. Um, what do you say about this uh, phase three when it comes to accessibility? We don't talk about this 
as often as we should, I think, Lisa. I have much more reading and learning to do in this area, but uh, this is uh, one drop in the bucket that I think we need to have here. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked about this in the context of triathlon historically, but what is prompting this phase is we saw some discussion online about um, products that you might buy in the grocery store, right? The ways in which our culture demeans, makes fun of um, particular um, items that are perceived as convenient. And so if something is convenient, therefore you must be lazy, right? So the example from triathlon we've talked about a lot was individuals who are in their tra in transition, which is the area where your bikes are, where you literally transition from swim to bike and bike to run. They're sitting on an upturned bucket, right? And you know, yes. oftentimes um, some triathletes will make fun of that, right? Not considering the fact that the person might have a mobility issue or it might be very hard for them based on arthritis or like other issues to change and they need to sit to do that, right? And so this, um, what we're seeing here in the grocery store is kind of a similar demeaning or poking fun at products such as shredded lettuce or pre-made frozen grilled cheese, right? Like comments online about why would you need, why would you need that? This seems ridiculous. What a waste of time um, or pandering to lazy people who just need to learn how to cook, like things like that, right? But when the discussion goes a little deeper and we add this accessibility lens, we can start to understand these products as actually being very, very helpful for people who might have limited um, ability to chop lettuce, right? So buying pre-chopped yes. pre packaged lettuce is going to make yes. that easier. I mean, this isn't necessarily people, just people with physical disabilities. It could be people who are older, who might just, you know, their hands might be less um, able to hold a knife or even, you know, back to mental health, even thinking about someone who's experiencing um, depression or, you know, is feeling anxious right and so how do yes. we make the dinner time the breakfast time the lunch time easier on them right and there's a piece of that yes. that comes with these convenient options that you can buy in the grocery store so it's this yes. coupling of convenience with laziness which is where i think people miss the point right around yes well how does this help people who are not a hundred percent able-bodied right yes oh yeah absolutely well and you know what i appreciated about even um looking at that particular post and then reflecting back, I'm thinking of at least two instances um, of things that would, well, three now, three that you're bringing up, uh, triathlon in particular. One of them, for example, um, I have a good friend of mine who is, you know, multiple half iron, you know, all of that. And every once in a while, vertigo is triggered based on the temperature of the water. And so she would need a bucket Sometimes she would use it, sometimes she wouldn't, but it was there in case she got out of water that was extremely cold or quite warm because mm, she didn't know okay. when vertigo might strike. And so yeah. the bucket just gave her a sense of relief of, yeah. I know that I can, you know, get out of a wetsuit or get into something else or tie my shoes um, because I know I have that bucket there just yeah. in case something uh, emerges. So that's one thing. The other thing too, um, which I was reading earlier was also about, um, young people and even adults um, who may be emerging from some some ideation, especially when it comes to self-harm. Well, they still want to eat, but it may not be safe or prudent to have knives or sharp things around them. But 
they want to go make themselves something to eat. So instead of needing to go get a knife to cut an apple, they can just go buy pre-cut slices of apples and they can eat. Um, and then the last thing I'm thinking about, which Lisa knows all about, and I can't remember if I shared it on the podcast or not, but um, a couple of summers ago, my mom was out walking and she was tra- chased by two dogs that were fortunately called off of her, but she was so frightened um, that she ran away, but she fell on both wrists, breaking both wrists and having to have surgery in both. Um, so she had double cast. Um, and so she's also the caretaker of my 98 year old grandmother. And so how helpful it was for her to be able to just rip open, you know, some shredded carrots for something, or maybe she's warming something up and she just needs to pull the lid off or poke the lid and then she can just put it in the microwave. And so, you know, I I can't remember the phrasing correctly, Lisa, help me if you can, but, you know, for those of us who are currently able-bodied, but will never be permanently able-bodied, all of these things are things we need to think about, right? Because I'm thinking about how um, <laughs> Trey was making fun of me the other day, Lisa, because I just flat out did not have enough hand strength to open up a jar of jelly for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, right? Um, you would think, you know, hello, but my super strong sons are like, mom, this is ridiculous. Pop, pop, pop. And, you know, I kind of reminded them, hey, sons, you know, let's be clear. You're not always going to have that strength. I'm grateful you have it now. You're strong strapping boys, but you're not always going to have that strength. We need to think about other people. And so, of course, that reminded me, my brain went back to the grocery store and the shelf where, you know, you find the, uh, what is it, the jelly with the flip cap that you just squeeze it instead of having to take a a lid off. All those different things where I I just caution us because, you know, it's a phrase in the church that says, you know, by by the grace of God, this is where we are, meaning let's be grateful for the time we do have um, of capabilities, but just know that that's fleeting. It, it's not always going to be this way where you can do all these things. Um, and so with that, I just want us to be careful not to be so judgmental, which kind of, Lisa, goes back to Elmo's kindness. <laughs> like can we be a little bit kinder to people um so yeah now i'm gonna go into the grocery store with a completely different mindset now lisa when i go grocery shopping tomorrow yeah the other thing i was thinking of when you were talking is i read a while ago now um like an advice column about how to save money at the grocery store and one of the suggestions was don't buy the pre-cut butternut squash don't buy the pre-cut vegetables because there's a premium they charge you for that so now i'm thinking at that point i didn't have this lens on it but now i'm thinking well great so let's say i develop arthritis in my hands and so i'm not able to cut things right and i just don't have the ability to open jars or whatever my grocery bill is going to go up because i'm going to need all of those products that are designed for more convenience i'm skeptical whether like smuckers or those big companies are like creating these convenient ways of accessing food because they're thinking about accessibility but the reality is that's how people are purchasing them but i have to pay more money for that so that's an interesting point about how there's a premium on um, food items that are more convenient to access, which so you're disproportionately impacting people that have limited physical ability or mobility. And to your point, we are all t- temporarily able-bodied, right? Like, like I could break my wrists like your mom did, right? And then I would be in a double cast, and that was that would absolutely impact my ability to cook and prepare food. So, um, 
Right. I do think right. we need to have some more grace and be a little bit less judgmental to your point mm -hmm. about why individuals might be purchasing um, items yeah. that might otherwise be kind of considered laziness, right? There's a big mm -hmm. problem in the US and probably all over the world where people with disabilities are considered lazy, right? There's yeah. not, there isn't grace yeah. extended to what a person is able to do and then adapt, let's adapt our environment so that everyone can be successful rather than just assuming because you can't manage in this environment, this environment that's um, designed for me, right? That you are right. therefore lazy. Like that's a huge cultural problem. Yeah, um, it, it reminds me I of that. We, um, yeah, we've talked about. Yeah, it, it reminds me of that cartoon that we've used before, Lisa, where it's um, it's like the, it's literally a cartoon of a white man sitting at a table proctoring a test and all the animals in front of him, like the elephant, the fish, the monkey and something else. And the test was, OK, go climb that tree. That tree was created for climbing for the monkey, but the fish will not be able to do that. The elephant certainly will not be able to do that. And so it's we've designed grocery stores and other places for once again, folks who are temporarily able-bodied, not thinking. And so, you know, one of the things that um, I've been learning about is that there are a lot of things in our environment that now, th that were previously created for accessibility purposes that are now standardized. And so thereby bringing pricing down as the result of that. So I don't know what the fix is for the pricing, the premium pricing of things, unless we all, uh, do a little bit of thinking around okay if more of us buy shredded lettuce does that mean that the pricing will go down because less of us are buying a head of lettuce that requires manual labor and so thereby it benefits everyone not just a few i'm still now thinking about that as well you know what's our contribution for those of us who are temporarily able to positively impact accessibility for everyone around that i mean you know there's a whole another uh, rabbit trail we could go down just in regards to fresh produce to begin with. So that's another conversation. Um, but yeah, it's got me thinking about every shopping trip now. <laughs> Good. Well, that's, that's the goal of this podcast is it that gets us thinking and gets our listeners thinking. So I think that's a wrap for this week. Um, hopefully the phases one, two, and three have given you some good food for thought while you're out walking the dogs or, um, at the grocery store, I guess. So <laughs> absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. And food for thought. Uh, I, I saw what you did there, Lisa. I saw what you did there. <laughs> um, all right. So how can people get a hold of us in the next seven days if they just cannot wait um, for the next yes. podcast to drop? <laughs> Yes, yes, absolutely. We'll certainly find us on YouTube, Unfazed Unedited. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, please make sure that you find Unfazed Unedited. I believe both are under Apple Podcasts, both are archived uh, as well as our new. So please look for Unfazed Unedited specifically. We're on Instagram, we're on LinkedIn. And again, if you have questions, send us an email at info at unfazedpodcast.com. Of course, the hub for everything is at our website, unfazedpodcast.com. You can find everything there. Please share this, like, subscribe, leave a review of what you hear from us, even how it made you think. Because oftentimes we come here with thoughts, sometimes we come in with solutions, uh, but we want to hear how it, it really struck you when it came to our musings here on Unfazed. And so we will see you next week.